This is Greater LA, the show on KCRW that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. Hey there, I'm Steve Chiotakis. It's been a wet January in the weather department, but as far as the liquor cabinet goes, maybe you've embarked this month on something other folks have been trying. Dry January, where you reset your drinking habits by cutting out alcohol altogether. Except some people are in no rush to drink again. We decided to like do kind of dry January, but then just kind of see how long we could take it after that and see what positive like things that would give us. Nick Morgan is at a happy hour in Venice Beach, where all the drinks are alcohol-free. This happy hour is at one of L.A.'s new non-alcoholic bottle shops. These spots are making it easier for you to drink less alcohol year-round. and They've got all kinds of teetotaling drinks that you've probably never heard of. KCRW's Megan Jamerson serves it up from here. Let's set aside the fact that Angelinos are notorious for their willingness to commit to the latest self-improvement trends and agree that this dry January felt different. Here's Nick Morgan again. I feel like, you know, in like 40 years, people might like look back at me and be like, you idiot, like how much did you drink? You drank like 10 beers a week, like, right? And that wasn't even in college. You're psychotic. Why did you do that to your body? Morgan is sipping on a carbonated water that's flavored with hops. This is good to replace beer. I like this. Even without alcohol, put 20 people shoulder to shoulder in this cozy bottle shop, and it feels as lively as any bar. So what's it like to socialize without a little liquid courage? Yeah. I, I, think, I think my inhibitions are probably low enough already, so I don't need any help. Uh, he says drinking or not, he still came out to have fun. I'm trying to work on creating my own social lubricant without, like, having to lean on something for it. Morgan's not alone in this experiment. According to a market report by the food and beverage company, CGA, over a third of drinking-age adults participate in Dry January. People at this happy hour were talking about a 2018 study from the British medical journal The Lancet that said the only safe level of drinking was zero. And it makes sense this would come up. During the pandemic, a lot of us realized maybe Zoom cocktail hours and nursing our anxiety with booze had gone a tad too far. And now there's a Gallup poll showing Gen Z is drinking less than millennials did at the same age. Morgan's partner, Veronica Zinn, a 26-year-old, says that trend amongst her peers is why she's cutting back. A lot of my friends are sober now, and that's one reason why I decided to do this, because, like, I can't be drinking alone. <laughs> it's kind of sad. <laughs> and she says the taste of the mango-flavored hop water she's drinking is a step up from sparkling water. Plus, it has zero sugar. But it feels kind of sweet, but not too sweet. Enter the era of the new and improved non-alcoholic beverage. Gone are the days of the dusty O'Doul's or sugary mocktails. No offense if that's your thing, but there are a lot more options now. The newest arrivals are the non-alcoholic distilled spirits and liqueurs. Over in Silver Lake, Jillian Barkley is showing me an entire shelf of this stuff. This would be your whiskey, bourbon, gin. Barkley is the owner of Soft Spirits, which is another non-alcoholic bottle shop. She says it was the first of its kind in L.A. when she opened it in 2021. While a can of non-alcoholic beer is around $2.50, you're looking at around 40 bucks for a fifth of alcohol-free bourbon, gin, or tequila. That's about the same as the regular stuff. 
If a customer asks about the price, Sparkly explains the non-alcoholic version is made with the traditional distillation process, but then the ethanol is removed after, which is even more work. She says it's all about where you put the value. If the value for someone is the alcohol content, then maybe this wouldn't be the thing for them. But if flavor and experience and something like that is more of a priority, then I think it's just as valuable. And people locally are finding it valuable because Barclays sales are up 20 percent. And she's selling out of items faster compared to last year. Her customers come to her for all kinds of reasons, too. I think no matter like how you identify, if you're sober or sober curious or you drink, I really just want to present the option and provide choice. So if you don't want to drink ever again or you don't want to drink this weekend or you're pregnant and you can't drink for nine months, um, just providing that choice so that it doesn't have to be, you know, such a binary thing where it's like either you drink alcohol or you don't have anything at all. This is an important development because we've long stigmatized people who don't drink, says Edward Slingerland, the author of Drunk, a book about our cultural history with alcohol. People are suspicious if there's someone, if everyone's drinking and there's someone in the group who's not drinking. That's a kind of warning sign. <laughs> something, maybe something's a little bit off with this person. Um, and that's, you know, it's not fair. There's all sorts of reasons why people uh, might not want to drink. And a third of drinking age adults don't drink at all. These give you a way to capture some of the benefits, you know, the social benefits, but without ingesting ethanol, which is in fact a, a fairly dangerous substance that you get physically addicted to. Now, we aren't marching towards teetotalism, and non-alcoholic beverages are still less than half a percent of the beverage market, but sales grew 20% from 2021 to 2022. This growing non-alcoholic industry is the last place Brianda Gonzalez thought she would find herself. Well, my dad is a bartender by trade, and so um, our household has always been very centered around um, beverage and food. Gonzalez owns The New Bar, a non-alcoholic bottle shop in Venice Beach, where that happy hour was taking place. She hosts other events there, too, including tastings and dinners, all alcohol-free. She started to learn about non-alcoholic beverages after her bartender dad was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and he had to cut out alcohol. For me, it felt extra important to go on that journey with him and to find alternatives that we could both enjoy. Um, I think... Anytime, it's important to, to be able to share those moments with your family and the people you love. Um, but especially when someone is not doing well and you're looking for ways to bring back those moments of joy and those small ceremonies that can feel like a celebration and can truly feel um, a little bit more normal. And now Gonzalez gets to share that with her customers, something we can all raise a glass to and say cheers. For KCRW, I'm Megan Jamerson. Coming up, the plight of the unhoused is a housing crisis for sure, but it's also a service crisis, it's a food crisis, and it's a cleaning crisis. How one laundry truck is trying to help. That's yours after this short break. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. 
Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car. Already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com slash cars. More now of Greater L.A. from KCRW. I'm Steve Chiotakis. L.A.'s homelessness problem is of crisis proportions. Just last week, Lhasa's annual count took place with numbers that some folks expect to go up again. And for the growing group of people experiencing homelessness, something as simple as just cleaning clothes can be almost impossible. One group is here to help. You know, my mother used to say, always look for the helpers. Anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Laundry Truck LA is a service that sends trucks to shelters, encampments, and now schools to give folks with little income or access to laundry services a way to clean clothes. Jody Dolan founded it. She's here to talk about it. Welcome to you, Jody. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, thanks for you the s- music intro. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mr. Rogers, it makes us feel better, right? Yep. You uh, you started Laundry Truck LA with just one truck, what was it, almost five years ago, as, as a way to reach out to your neighbors on Skid Row. Well, now you, you've got two trucks, and now you have a new contract with the LAUSD. So tell us a little bit about who you're you're serving in that space. Yeah, sure. So like you said, we started off with one truck and we did our first load in 2019. And it was really just, it came out of, you know, an an, an effort to just help our community. I'm based in LA. I have a fashion brand, Dolan Scrubs. And it was really just us wanting to provide a service that, you know, we saw that was really needed. And so through COVID, we were really busy doing laundry seven days a week. And uh, SoCal Gas helped us get our second truck in 2021. And um, after, you know, visiting all these different types of, you know, motels and shelters and parking lots and parks, we we were introduced to um, the folks at La Puente School District and Los Angeles Unified School District and recognized that there was another whole huge group of underserved people, which are kids, um, you know, thousands and thousands of kids in unstable housing. It's, it's hard to imagine, Jody, kids not having access to basic things like clean laundry. I mean, how did you it's 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 something that a lot of folks take for granted right i mean you have a washer and dryer you can just you know even in your apartment building you go to the washer and dryer you wash your clothes but some people don't have that how did you become aware that there was such a big need because we're talking about quite a few schools right yeah i mean we're talking about thousands and thousands of kids that are in transition and um i think that just being out in the community and really listening and really um trying to be open and find where we can help to your (laughs) to your point about the mr rogers um that's really i think what our intention is is just always asking how more can we help so we discovered that there were thousands and thousands of families really who were um living in unstable conditions so whether they're in a motel or whether they're in you know a garage that they're renting or on a sofa or sharing 
uh, an apartment with many families, there's just not the resources. And we have learned that, you know, if kids don't have clean clothes, they don't want to go to school and they won't go to school. And so this is just really, um, I think, a wonderful way to help uh, the kids have a little more agency in their lives and be able to show up and learn and really help the families that might be going through tremendous um you know, tremendous hardships, depending on what it is. And it's a myriad of things. Um, and, and really, the whole goal is just to support the families, but ultimately the kids and keep them in school and help them, um, you know, be able to learn. You operate every day of the week, right? Seven days a week, which is which is pretty impressive. We do. We do. We operate seven days a week, days and nights. And we, um, we were pretty quick in... Um, and reactionary, like we just got a call this week where there was a shelter in Hollywood and the, you know, the machines had been down for a while and they needed us to come. And so we were able to come the next day. So we, um, we really pride ourselves on being mobile, which is one thing that is wonderful to be able to go into the community um, and just to be really flexible and show up where, where the needs are. And you're not just stopping at two trucks. You're trying to get more trucks on the road. Yeah, we know that with the schools that there's really a tremendous need. And so we are fundraising for a few more trucks now. And um and we'll see, you know, what the what the next few years hold, but um not only are we really proud to support, you know, all the people that are experiencing homelessness and help them through this time, we've um we've heard from our partners at Los Angeles Unified School District that they really, really want to get behind this as well. They see it as a huge opportunity to support the families. And so we know that um that we'll be doing a lot more laundry for the next couple of years. How eye opening an experience has this been for you, Jody, and, and for your team? It's life-changing, I think, to really see what people are going through and to hear the stories. You know, um, we met a, a beautiful family just a week ago um, at the La Puente School District, and they have been coming to our services for months. And it was a husband and a wife and, um, and the mother-in-law. They drove up in their truck, and he had his gardening, you know, uh, equipment on the back of the truck. And we said, can we ask you guys a couple questions? We just want to learn about, you know, how you're using the service and how it's been helpful to you. And so the woman, the wife got out and she had a cane and she was so lovely. And she said, you know, I um, have just been diagnosed with terminal cancer Uh and I have two young kids and one of them is special needs. And so this service, it's physically really difficult for me to, she was young and she said, it's physically very difficult for me to do laundry. And so this has been like, you know, an unbelievable help while, and I wanted to, you know, stay here so my kids can graduate school. And so when you hear these stories, you just, you understand how important it is to find ways to give back and you just never know what people are going through, you know? Jody Dolan, founder of The Laundry Truck LA. Jody, thank you. Godspeed to you and for what you're doing. Your team is doing all across the streets and shelters of LA and schools now of LA. Thanks for having me. Moving on now with Greater LA on KCRW. And let's move over to the piano and hear the sweet, dulcet voice and smooth, flying, pounding hands of an Angelino who made good. A part of black history, a part of LA and music history.
Hannah Brooks was one of the most popular musicians of her time in America, that time being much of the 20th century. She sang and played piano with a mix of blues, jazz, big band. They called her the queen of the boogie. The name just came out of the, out, out of the air, you know, queen of the boogie, because I was the only one playing the boogie, I guess. Nobody, <laughs> nobody else was uh, doing a featuring boogie on record. Brooks was a trailblazer who, among other firsts, was the first African-American woman to host her own weekly TV show here in L.A. She's born and raised in Boyle Heights a little more than a century ago. But is it a place that remembers and relishes her life and talent today? Rudy Martinez is on the advisory board of the Boyle Heights Historical Society, and he's with us right now. Hi, Rudy. Hi, Steve. Thank you for inviting me on the show. You bet. Hatta Hopgood, that, that's her birth name, was basically discovered one day while she was, while she was at the piano, right, playing the piano. Yeah, she was actually uh, in about around 1945. She was at a downtown sheet music store uh, looking for sheet music because she played the piano for a uh, dance studio. And um, a gentleman by the name of Jules Bahari uh, heard her playing the piano and approached her and told her, can you write up a boogie? And she said, well, I mostly do classical music. It's not the kind of music I do, but I'll give it a try. And he says, if you can write it up, uh, we'll pay you for it. We'll take you into a studio. We'll record it and we'll release it on a new label that me and my brothers want to start. And uh, at the time, the Bahari brothers ran a jukebox distributorship down in Little Tokyo. And most of their machines were down on Central Avenue, the main artery for um uh, the black community in South LA, but they were having a hard time uh, stocking their jute boxes with the kind of music their users wanted to listen to because of the war shortage of uh, shellac with, to make records. So they decided, well, we'll record and press our own jute box inventory, but we need to ri- find the right artist. So uh, the boogie craze was going on. They asked uh, Hatta, could she write some tunes? She, about a week later, she brought in two tunes, an A-side and a B-side. They released it. It was immediate success, and they were on their way. Why do you think Hatta caught on with audiences, Rudy? I think a big part of it had to do with the Bahari's operation itself. They were an independent label, and basically the Bahari's philosophy seems to have been how can we record and press an album as cheap as possible? And also, too, the uh, uh, boogie craze was, was, was flourishing. It was just right after the war. I think, you know, uh, people were just uh, wanted to celebrate and party. And it was just a post-war boom. And also, I think uh, American ears in general were open to the more uh, black-dominated sounds of R&B, blues, and the nascent sounds of R&B. And uh, Hatta Brooks was, and Modern Records was there to sort of um, introduce that sound. And, uh, and I, I think that also had a part of it, too. So she would leave Modern after, what, five years? But she also, she showed up in Hollywood, too, right? She was in, in, in movies. Yeah, she appeared in movies. She appeared in movies from everybody with, from Humphrey Bogart to uh, the 1990s with uh, Jack Nicholson. Um, you know, she was very talented, very, uh, very photogenic, uh, and she was just seemed to be a natural fit for films. And, of course, she usually played the... Uh, 
a woman at the piano singing a song. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't much of a stretch for her, but uh, she always seemed to uh, shine and people seem to remember her. Let's hear her sing in this movie, 1947 movie, I believe, called Out of the Blue. It's a favorite of yours, right, Rudy? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's a personal favorite of my wife and I. Then, if you found him, just put your arms around him. You'll know where or when or how it happened to you. Out of the blue. And listen to that sultry, beautiful voice. Hannah Brooks, that, that's a ballad, by the way, which she was also known for. She, uh, she sang torch songs, songs of people, you know, holding on to unrequited love. She herself had a, a pretty complicated and some would say tragic love life, didn't she? Yeah, she did. In 1941, Hannah went to a Harlem Globetrotters game in South Los Angeles and met one of the players... Earl Morrison. And after a brief courtship, um, they got married. But uh, tragically, within a year, uh, contracted pneumonia and he passed away suddenly. And Hatta always um, held him as basically the love of her life. And she married once or twice, very, very briefly. But I don't think anybody really uh, replaced Morrison in her heart. Has she gotten her due, do you think? I mean, you were you were part of the commemoration for Hatton Brooks and, and Boyle Heights uh, last year. There was a band, even some folks who knew her, but a whole lot of people didn't show up, right? Right, right. We did have a uh, celebration of her life, but uh, she never really, really got the recognition I think uh, she deserves in Los Angeles. You know, this was a woman that hosted a groundbreaking TV show. In fact, she hosted two TV shows in two different continents. In the 60s, she actually hosted a TV show in Australia. She appeared at the Apollo Theater several times, toured Europe, an audience with the Pope, released a groundbreaking recording that was very unusual for African-American recording artists when she released an album of three RPM discs, which was very unusual for uh, black recording artists. These were usually only released by white art uh, for white artists on uh, the major labels. And of course, Bonnie Raitt herself has called uh, had a, an American treasure, and she lived most of her life in Los Angeles. And to top it all off, you know, she possessed one of the most distinctive and alluring voices of her generation. She died in two thousand two. Um, we remember her as part of black history, as part of L.A.'s history, music history for sure. I want to thank you for your time, Rudy Martinez, on the advisory board of the Boyle Heights Historical Society, as we remember Hannah Brooks. Rudy, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Doesn't that put a smile on your face? That's all the time we have for this evening. Tomorrow, meet the new head of L.A.'s Homeless Services Authority, who has a lot on her plate, obviously a big job ahead of her when she takes over in just a few weeks. That's tomorrow on GLA. 
We'd be honored to be in your podcast lineup as well, all available at the website, kcrw.com slash GLA. And, of course, you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Juliana Mayo, Nihar Patel, Sonia Guy, Sue Margulies, John Meek, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Mike Vogel, and Christian Bordall all put the hard work into tonight's episode. I'm Steve Chiotakis. Thanks for your ears and for your time. Have a great night. We'll be right back.